This is Educate for Life with Kevin Conover, a look at current events from today's headlines and how they affect you, what you believe shapes your worldview and your ultimate destiny. Learn more now at educateforlife.com. Now in studio, here is your host, Kevin Conover. Bring your tired and bring your shame. Bring your guilt and bring your pain. Don't you know? That's not your name. You will always be much more to me. And every day I wrestle with the voices that keep On June 30th, 2015, right. Governor Brown signed SB 277 right. and SB 279 uh, into law here in California. And what this is, is it requires that students and anybody who is working in a daycare or a uh, some sort of a environment in which there are kids is they're required to get vaccines and the the significance here is that you may you cannot be exempted from this there's no religious belief exemptions uh no personal exemptions allowed in california now that went into effect uh january 1st 2016 and the second part of that sb 279 goes into effect a uh, september 1st 2016 there's only two other states that mandate vaccines for kids, and that's Mississippi and Virginia. And I think this is hugely significant. I think a lot of people don't realize how significant this is. You're listening to Educate for Life. This is Kevin Conover. I'm your host here on KPraise, 12, 10 a.m. here in San Diego. And I have a really special guest with us today. His name is Michael Ferris. Before I uh, introduce him, or let me introduce him here before we bring him on to discuss what he is an expert at. Michael Ferris is the Chancellor of Patrick Henry College and the chairman of the Homeschool Legal Defense Association. He's the founding president of both these organizations. He's a a constitutional appellate litigator who has served as lead counsel in the United States Supreme Court, eight federal circuit courts, and the appellate courts of 13 states. He's been a leader on Capitol Hill for over 30 years, and he's recognized for his leadership in homeschooling, religious freedom, and the preservation of American sovereignty. And he teaches constitutional law at Patrick Henry Henry College, as well as public international law. And uh, he's got all kinds more credentials. Uh, One of the most significant, I think, is he has 10 kids and 18, 19, you said grandchildren, Michael. Is that right? That's right. That's incredible. I was just asking him, you know, just before the show here, how do you get all this done? And with 10 kids, unbelievable. That's amazing. So he said, move quick. So I like that. So (laughs) that's right. (laughs) Yeah. So thanks a lot for being on the show today, uh, Mike. It's my pleasure. I I love coming to San Diego. I've been here many, many times. I, I worked for Tim and Bevel Hay for six years, and so you can't work for the LaHays without having many good memories in San Diego. Yeah, that's fantastic. He just um, We just had him out at um, a 50th anniversary celebration for Shadow Mountain, and he's 90 years old. Yeah. And that guy is so awesome. Uh, the, the love of Christ just kind of exudes out of him, his humility and everything. It's amazing. Uh, he's, he's a wonderful, wonderful man, and uh, I learned so much from him. He, he's my mentor in many, many ways. That's fantastic. Well, um, Mike, uh, I think this is appropriate. You're out here to speak uh, to uh, homeschool organizations um, about, uh, to an extent, Common Core, uh, as well as parental rights. Your passion, a big part of your passion is parental rights. And, uh, I mean, there's so much to talk about here, but w- what's a good place to start as far as where did your passion originate uh, regarding parental rights and, and uh, homeschooling and these sorts of things? Well, let's start with my own family. Okay. Um, the, uh, um, we began homeschooling our kids uh, really as a re- uh, reaction to uh, meeting a guest on Tim and Bev's uh, television show. They had a, a TV show for a while, and I was their 
a political and legal guy at the time, and uh, uh, I met one of their guests who was a homeschool advocate, and he talked me into uh, homeschooling our kids. And as a result of that, uh, I got uh, a lot of requests to help defend other families. So, it, it And when started, you say help defend other families, like, what do you mean in that regard? <clears throat> well, uh, this was 1982 when we started homeschooling our kids. Yeah. And so the, if you asked government officials anywhere in the United States in 1982, is homeschooling lawful? A hundred percent would say, no, that's illegal. And so uh, today you're going to get a much different response. But in that day, it was widely uh, and almost universally considered to be uh, illegal. Now, now we, we now, took the position that... Yeah. The Constitution said otherwise, but that was their position. So that's a, that's uh, my question is, so how far back does homeschooling go in U.S. history? And is it, you know, did they start saying this is illegal relatively recently? Uh, and was it legal before that? Or how did that uh, play out? What's the well, history of homeschooling in America? Well, there's always been some homeschooling in America. Yeah. Uh, and it, it was fairly dominant in the age of the founders. Uh, but it wasn't a universal, but it was it was uh, a primary way of homeschooling in those days. But in terms of the legality of homeschooling, um, in California specifically, in the 1950s, there were two important cases that went to the appellate courts of California. And they ruled that homeschooling was illegal in California. And so, so it goes back at least that far. Um, and so in, in basically my lifetime, it's been generally considered illegal – um, uh, and until, you know, more, much more recently. Uh, and so because I was homeschooling, because I was a lawyer, because I was known in certain segments of the Christian community, I got asked a lot for, for help. Yeah. And so uh, the idea of doing Homeschool Legal Defense Association arose from those factors. And so my, and my passion for parental rights, similarly, I mean, the vaccine situation that you, you brought up, uh, one of our our daughters, uh, our daughter Emily, um, when she was uh, about six months old, um, she was given a DPT vaccine by our longtime family doctor. Great, great guy, really, really good doctor. And she ran a hundred and six degree temperature. Whoa! I mean, which extremely serious. Yeah. And and so uh, as a result of that, and you know, he he said this is from the vaccine. There's no doubt. This is from the vaccine. And so from that point on, we didn't vaccinate our kids. And, and um, it was, you know, not a matter of, uh, you know, there's some people that take a, a religious view on it on the basis of the, you're, you're swallowing blood or things like that. And you know, I just didn't want to kill my kids. Yeah. Yeah. So this was re- very practical. Yeah. Uh, and and so um, and as they got older, we would we made a decision when we thought that they were ready to take some vaccinations and. Uh, we didn't give them uh, the HPV vaccine because we didn't think our kids were going to be prostitutes at eight, eight years old yeah. or, or drug addicts. And <laughs> yeah. so um, we went slow and we made the decision uh, what was good for our kids. And yeah. so that is the kind of decision making that's being taken away from parents in bills like this. Should parents make good medical decisions for their kids? Yes. But should they be able to make individual decisions based on their own family and their own convictions and their own research? Yes, they should. Yeah. So the argument that from the other side is, hey, look, by exempting some some kids from these vaccines, what you're doing is uh, so those kids are going to bring the sickness into the school. The other kids have had the vaccine, but because you didn't vaccinate everybody, well, you're still going to spread the disease around. Yeah, it's a good story. If it was true, there'd be something to it, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was a pastor and elder of a church in Virginia for a long time. 
and uh, especially the elder part. Um, and we had a, a whooping cough, a pertussis outbreak in our church. Yeah. And it came from a few people, all of whom had been vaccinated. Every single one that, had, that brought the pertussis and spread it through the congregation had been vaccinated. So these vaccines aren't perfect. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're not perfect in the sense of preventing the disease, and they're not perfect in the sense of not having side effects. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's, it's a good story. Yeah. But uh, if, if the vaccines work, how would a kid who hasn't been vaccinated give it to a kid who has been vaccinated? Yeah, that's a good point. You know, it, 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 that's craziness. I mean, the, if the vaccines work, kids who are not vaccinated can give it to other kids who are not vaccinated. But if they don't work, then their argument makes sense. And so their argument's circular in nature. And yeah. It's not based on sound science. And there's really a bigger issue here. And the bigger issue is that um, we're eroding essentially people's ability to make decisions for their own kids. And and the, ch- the child is being, um, in a sense, told what to do by the state versus the parents. And that's a big, big issue. Uh, and some people might say, oh, that's a slippery slope argument and it's a fallacy and you're not making sense what you're saying. You're just fear mongering and so forth and so on. But uh, that's what your whole uh, I mean, this is what a big part of what you're doing is about. Well, if that was the only example, maybe it would be, you know, a, a stretch. Maybe you're making a mountain out of a molehill mm-hmm. and saying this is going to apply to other areas. But it does apply to other areas. Yeah. You know, cases I have personally worked on, not that I've read about, where I was the lawyer. Um a uh, 13-year-old boy in Island County, Washington, um, was in public school, and uh, his guidance counselor found out that he was going to church more often than the boy thought was appropriate. They went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night prayer meeting. And the guidance counselor thought this is horrible. And so the guidance counselor called in social workers on a Friday afternoon, and they did an emergency removal of this boy. Whoa, whoa. Uh, Mike, because, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut you off right sure. here. This is a great place to stop because I know our listeners are going to come back to finish this story. Uh, you won't want to miss this story. Um, I actually got to hear this uh, uh, earlier. But um, anyway, my guest today is Michael, Michael Ferris. He is a uh, litigator, and he defends homeschool parents, homeschool organizations, he started a uh, organization, um, uh, H uh, Homeschool Legal Defense Association, and he also has a movie called OverruledMovie.com. You can see it. Uh, it's a fantastic 30-minute uh, video on the importance of this issue, and his website is ParentalRights.org. Stay with us. We're going to be right back. What do leading local restaurants have in common? They depend on Express Fix Coffee for new and used coffee and espresso machines, repairs, and affordable monthly service. Dave Martin and his local team provide water filtration services too. Call San Diego's best espresso repair company, serving your home and business. Learn more online at ExpressFixCoffee.com. Call Express Fix Coffee at 619-867-3853. 619-867-3853. Hi, this is Jason Hall, president of Team Home Loans, a branch of Synergy One Lending. I just want to take this opportunity to thank Kevin Conover for the profound impact he's had on mine and my wife's spiritual life, as well as being an incredible teacher while our kids were his students. His knowledge and passion have taught us all how important it is to be defenders of our faith. It's our honor and privilege to support Kevin and his show. It is our sincere hope and prayer that you will continue to learn to be defenders of your faith through Kevin's radio show and through his Educate for Life teaching. 
teachings. Thank you, Kevin, from the Hall family and Team Home Loans. Add historic American beauty to your home today with genuine Amish furniture. It's built in the USA from solid cherry wood with a bourbon finish. Or choose alternative woods and finishes to accent your home's decor. You'll find it all at Tucker's Valley Furniture. For over 65 years, the Tucker family has served San Diego County. Still family-owned, Cash and Carry and Tucker's Valley Furniture. Two stores, both right across the street at Main and Mollison in El Cajon. Learn more at tuckersvalleyfurniture.com. I will cast my cares on you. You're the anchor of my hope, the only one who's in control. I will cast Thanks for listening today. This is Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. My website is educateforlife.org. If you like this show, you can pick up a recording there. It's also podcast, and it's also on our YouTube channel. So um, I hope you're enjoying the show so far. Michael Ferris is my guest. He is the founder of Patrick Henry College. He's also the chairman of the Homeschool Legal Defense Association. And uh, he was just telling us a story last segment about uh, a case in which a social worker removed a child from the parent's home because the child supposedly was going to church too much. Can you finish that story? Sure. Um, Well, an emergency removal on a Friday is only supposed to happen when there is a serious immediate threat. And so the serious immediate threat apparently was, well, Sunday's coming and you have to go to church twice. And so they they removed the child. And on Tuesday, we had a hearing. And I was there at the hearing for the family. uh, And at the end of the hearing, the judge said, okay, I think that once a week is enough church for any 13-year-old boy. And if you want to keep custody of your son, you got to agree to once-a-week church. This almost doesn't sound real. It no, sounds it, like I, yeah. something out of the Twilight Zone or it, something. It, it does, and, and unfortunately, it's very real. And the uh, um, the parents caved into it because they didn't want to. I told them we could appeal and all that, but I couldn't assure them that they could keep custody of their child during the appeal period. And so they, they went along with the judge's ruling. But who decided how often that child should go to church? It was the judge. Yeah. It wasn't the parents. And it wasn't you know like they were some weird church. or anything. It was just a normal evangelical church. They weren't doing snake handling or you know anything weird like that that would be actually dangerous to a kid. It was just they went to church three times a week. And, you know, for the judge— you know, just looking at him and listening to him, I think going to a church once a week would have been an upgrade for his family. Yeah. But, but, uh, and it really comes to a point where it's kind of like, okay, who's to say? Yeah. Uh, it, it's kind of like uh, a while back they were arguing that uh, on airtime on radio, you had to give a certain amount of time to liberal views and a certain, if you gave a certain amount of time to conservative views. And it was, a, but who's the arbitrator of, you know, what's fair and what's right? Well, it ends up being the government. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and everybody's biased. And so, yeah, well, the the uh, the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child and the UN Convention on Persons with Disabilities, which I've helped lead the charge to defeat both of those treaties, have as a central premise the best interest of the child shall control in every situation. And people think that that means, well, what's best for a child? That's not what it means at all. It is a dispositional standard, which means it is a rule of who decides what's best for the child. And when they say in every situation, it means every single decision, whether you go to church, whether your child goes to the junior prom, whether they have vaccines, the government gets to decide what's best in every situation. Whereas traditionally in our country, the best interest standard was invoked only after the parents had been 
proven to have been abuseful parents or abusing parents or neglectful parents. Mm. After, it was a sent, like a sentencing phase of the trial. Yeah. So after they found you guilty of abuse, then the best interest standard comes yeah. in. But not in every case. And so what, what we're headed toward in our country by these UN conventions and American forces that want to seek to do essentially the same thing. Yeah. Um, where we're headed is every parent is going to stand in the same legal position as if we've all been convicted of child abuse. Yeah. That's where we're headed. And, you know, Hillary Clinton uh, believes this with all her heart. She is a prime proponent of the U.N. Convention of the Rights of the Child. Uh, she used to be uh, the chair, chairwoman or chair or uh, desk drawers or something, <laughs> some piece of furniture of the of the uh, Children's Defense Fund that was on the fourth floor of the office building that I was Yikes. on the seventh floor of the same building. And so I rode in the elevator with these people every day. These people believe that they, and not you, should control every child-based decision in the country. And, and they're not, Christians are not going to do well in that situation. Oh, not at all, uh, because <laughs> we're raising them up to essentially say, no, they're wrong. Moral relativism is wrong. Uh, these attitudes uh, that good is defined by whoever happens to be in power is wrong. And, you know, Jennifer Roback Morris, um, who is an expert in the area of the family, was talking about the same issue that what's happening with homosexual marriage and homosexual adoption is that the state is now defining what who the parent is. And it's not necessarily the biological parent. And so what's happening is you're putting states in charge of uh, defining how a, who is the parent. And this, too, applies to what you're saying in the sense that the biological parent can no longer count on that simply that they are that that they're the ones who, who the, the chromosomes belong to to say I am the parent. Right. Well, our, our legal system is built on several fundamental principles, right and wrong, according to the moral principles of the word of God being mm-hmm. chief among them. Yeah. The republic. Right. Right. Yeah. And so we're, we're moving away from right and wrong, from marriage and all these other things. But in this context, the legal issue of parenting uh, it's, it's not that children belong to parents and it's kind of like chattel property. It's like a baseball team. What team do they belong to? Mm. Do they belong to the government team or do they belong to the, belong to the parent team? Which team are they on? And, and who's their coach? Who's yeah. the one that gets to make the decision? Where, where are the legal presumptions? Because a lot of legal um, theory is based on who has the presumptive power to make decisions. And, and where we're moving is away from... We assume that the parents are going to make the best decisions for the kids. We're going to give them a lot of space. Maybe I wouldn't make the exact same decision, but until they start locking their kids in a box or doing something that's actually abusive, we're going to give this parent some grace. I mean, you know, parents will let their kids root for the Dallas Cowboys, if you can believe that. I mean, that, that to me is... Uh, it's, a, it's a good thing we're here in California yeah, and yeah, not in Texas. Yeah, so, so, so the, you know... but. Just because I wouldn't let my kids root for the Dallas Cowboys, and yeah. I think that that's really dangerous, you know, other parents see it differently. Yeah. And, and so we give people a lot of space. But when they really abuse their kids, they lock in a box, they have sexual abuse, we, they beat their kids, they starve their kids, yeah. you know, they, they involve their kids with pornography, that's abuse. Mm-hmm. And, and the presumption ends, and the government authority steps in when there's real abuse. Yeah. But what we're what we're talking about is taking away the presumption that good parents get to run the families their families the way they want to. Yeah, it's hard for me to understand how anybody can think otherwise. I mean, all the social science is very clear that parents raised by their biological and mother and father, all other things being equal, it's clearly the best situation. I even had a um, 
I, this surprised me uh, in my home fellowship. Uh, one of the women there actually works for CPS. She said what they're finding is that even in cases where a, a person is living on the street, they have found that the child does better with the mother living on the street. Uh, as long as they're not abusive, but they're just trying to make it. They're going yeah. from place to place better than actually taking them away and putting them in some sort of a, you know, state run foster care facility, which I was like, wow, that's that's significant that there's that much of a tie to the biological parents that you could make that statement. Well, I, I would um, give close evidence to that. My mom was raised as a migrant worker family. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, they're poor family from Arkansas. And it was in the middle of the Depression, and they moved from place to place to place, picking cotton and hoeing lettuce and working in the timber camps. And my mom, at eight, nine years old, was working yeah. out in the fields a lot. She went to school some, not all the time. And by any modern you know, definition, she had a substandard economic living. And she turned out great, and her family is great. And I, I, her parents were, my grandparents were fantastic parents, and she did very well. You take her out of that and put her in foster care, she's not going to thrive. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so just because people are struggling doesn't mean it's a bad situation. Absolutely. So um, I, it's hard for me to understand how somebody on the other side can come to this conclusion that somehow they think that the state is going to do a better job of making decisions about the welfare of the child than is than is the, the parents themselves. And when it comes to things like uh, I want to opt my, my child out of sex education or I want to opt my child out of this particular type of sex education or I don't want my child to get vaccines or whatever the case, it seems like it's just common sense that the parents should have that right. But yet um, I was watching your movie online, overruledmovie.com, uh, and you gave an example of a guy in there who tried to opt out, and they actually threatened him, and uh, he ended up spending a day in prison. Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, well, well there, was, there were several cases like that, but that's essentially correct. Okay. So when we get back, I want to talk a little bit more about that and just uh, give you a chance to explain that to our listeners, um, that this is actually happening. This isn't some fictional tale we're talking about. Um, you need to be concerned that your rights as a parent are are at risk, um, and the state is saying, hey, we're willing to take your child away and put him in foster care or something else, um, and we're not just fear-mongering here. We're just dealing with real issues that are actually happening. My guest today is Michael Ferris. He is the founder of the Homeschool Legal Defense Association. He is a constitutional lawyer, uh, president of Patrick Henry College. Stay with us. He has a lot of wisdom to share with us, so I hope you're blessed by the show. We're going to be right back. Not all home inspections are created equal. Joe DeMars and his team at Housemaster have performed inspections in San Diego for 22 years plus and performed over 10,000 inspections for commercial, multiple family, apartments, and residential. Call before you buy or sell. You'll have confidence knowing the true condition of the property. Call 619-660-7866, sandiego.housemaster.com. Home inspections, done right, guaranteed. 619-660-7866. How can you live in San Diego and miss out on enjoying the water? Fast Lane Kayaking sells popular Hobie Cat kayaks that you pedal, not paddle. That means your hands are left free for fishing and fun. Just throw these on your roof rack. They're light and they're easy to use and maintain. Just rinse them off. Try one free on a demo ride. For 36 years, Ron and Debbie Lane have served San Diego with fun, family-friendly water sports of all kinds. Learn more. FastLaneSailing.com. 619-650-7866. 
Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. My website's educateforlife.org. You can listen to a recording of the show or past shows. And we're on KPraise, 1210 a.m. here in San Diego. You can listen to kprz.com all over the world. The show is streamed all over the world. And uh, my guest today is Michael Ferris. And uh, he is an expert on parental rights as well as uh, homeschooling. He has 10 kids. And um, I want to give a quote here before we get into what's happening with uh, parents' rights and so forth. Uh, this is uh, writing for Christianity Today. Kevin, uh, I'm not sure how you pronounce his last name. It looks like Thoreau. Senior counsel with Alliance Defending Freedom said that the standards may threaten. He's talking about Common Core here. The standards may threaten religious liberty. Common Core creates another tool for big government, judges, legislators, and education policy policymakers to control the beliefs and actions of parents and their students, he said. He added that government control, quote, is likely to creep into parochial schools and even homeschooling through national education standards, specifying what all students must be taught in order to move on to higher education. And then a a relevant quote from Terrence Moore, who is a professor of history, assistant professor of history at Hillsdale College. He said this, whomever controls the test controls the curriculum. And so I don't think that uh, this is an exaggeration here that um, Common Core should be something that we should uh, approach very, very carefully. Uh, and Mike, I wanted to have you share on this along with the we, we kind of cut off last segment with the stories but um, whichever one you want to take. Well, up we'll I guess we'll go to the, the story. The, the one that I, I have the most clear memory of, there's a situation in Tennessee where a, um, a dad had a 13-year-old boy at the doctor and didn't know what was wrong with him. And the uh, um, doctor took the dad aside and said, uh, I think your, your son might be using illegal drugs. Mm. Can I test him? And the dad said, okay. And so when the results came back, uh, the dad told, excuse me, the doctor told the dad, I can't, the federal law, uh, the privacy laws prevent me from telling, giving you the test results. And so the, the one person in the country that needed to know whether the, the kid was using illegal drugs is the dad, number one. Yeah. And so when the federal government intervenes with these so-called privacy standards to get between parents and kids in decision-making like this, we see many, many situations uh, like that. And there, was a, there were other situations where people were arrested for trying to intervene with their kids. Um, I, I've, I've been involved in two cases like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, nonetheless, whether it's medical or education, Parents should be able to make good decisions. And, um, you know, the common core is at the opposite extreme of that. And that is not parents making the decisions, not classroom teachers in the local public schools, not your local school board making the decisions. Yeah. This is centralized bureaucrats making decisions. Uh, HSLDA has put out a, a, a movie about this as well. It's called Building the Machine. People just Google that, Building the Machine, Common Core, and the movie's available for free on the Internet. It's about 30 minutes long. It's a terrific movie. Okay. High praise for that. Right. And so the uh, – but – um, what is it at, at the at the center of the Common Core philosophy 
is that the government should get to decide, the centralized government should get to decide a one-size-fits-all mm. philosophy. And when you, when you do that, when you just make that assumption, you hand philosophical control over to a very small handful of people. And, Who are so uh, disconnected from what you're doing locally. Yeah, and and they, you know, my my dad was a public school principal, he was an elementary principal, and he didn't like the, the central office in his own school district <laughs> yeah. telling him what to do, and he certainly didn't like the state department of education, the federal department of education. Those people were criminals, as far as my dad was yeah. concerned, because he believed this that the people who saw the kids, which are the teachers, the parents. And the principal. They're the ones that actually knew the kids. They should be making the decisions, yeah. not people who don't see the kids. Yeah. And, and so the, with, with, uh, there is no evidence. There is not one bit of research that supports the idea that centralized education decision-making produces better academic results. Mm. And there was an accidental study that proves the exact opposite of that. And that happened in Tennessee – uh, 15 years ago, we'll call it. It's some, some number, approximately that long ago, uh, maybe a little longer. Lamar Alexander was the governor, okay. and they produced a program called Tennessee Basic Skills First, which is very much like the Common Core, at least in, this, in the area of centralized government planning. And uh, they have, you know, you had to curriculum match the test. You had to have weekly test, monthly test. You had to train the teachers. It was a big deal. Very, very centralized. Big burden on the teachers. Big burden on everybody. Yeah. That's right. And But after a couple of years of the program, some legislator decided it would be good to give the homeschoolers the year-end test. We didn't have to do any of the other stuff. No centralized curriculum. None of the other stuff. But we had to take the year-end test. And with no interaction whatsoever with, with the Tennessee Basic Skills First material, homeschoolers blew the top off the test. They were 20 to 30 percentile points higher wow. across the board than their public school counterparts, which shows you that decentralized education to the max. Not only did we not match their stuff, we didn't even match each other. Mm-hmm. In fact, kids within the same family didn't necessarily match each other. And yet decentralized parent-based decision produced a much superior result. And so there is no evidence. The emperor has no clothes. So yeah. when people tell you, well, it's a good idea that we have centralized education ma- making, well, you give them that Tennessee example, and then you also give them the example of the Soviet Union. <laughs> they said centralized planning would produce better consumer goods, refrigerators, cars. Didn't work out so well for them. And centralized education planning in this country won't work out any, any better. Socialized, centralized planning does not work. Entrepreneurial Child-based, meaning this individual child-based decision is what's best, which is why I'm a big fan of homeschooling. But even in other educational contexts, I really believe that the decision makers should be as close to the child as possible. Yeah. The teacher, the principal, the parents. Yeah, those are basic, uh, basic values, conservative values. Uh, and, you know, I, I find it interesting, um, the homeschool movement is growing, right? In 2007, I was reading the stats on this. There were about one and a half million homeschooled kids. Right Right now, we're up around two million. And would you say that the success or the growing movement of the the, the homeschool movement is actually in response to this pressure that's coming from the government to conform? uh, Or they're just not sad. I mean, education in America is in a sad state in general. California is like abysmal. But... uh, and why are you winning these cases when you're when you're litigating to defend homeschooling? Um, are you winning because they look at the success of homeschooling and they go, OK, we are wrong? Or is it judicial precedent? Is there precedent that's that's allowing well, these victories or what's happening? Uh, it, it's a combination. But it, but 
um, the, the key factor is that the kids are turning out well. Mm. Um, they, they shouldn't require that. If they were going to just follow straight, you know. Constitutional uh, law. Right. Yeah. Black letter constitutional law. Yeah. Parents should be given the, the, the freedom to, to vary. And if their kids turned out okay, that should be sufficient. But judges get a little protective of kids. But, and, and the plain facts are homeschool kids do great. And, you know, especially when you judge groups to groups Mm -hmm. as a group, they score higher than any other group, higher than private schools as a group, much higher than public schools. On like SATs and these sorts of things. That's right. Yeah. Various forms of standardized tests. And so the the um, um, that really influences the judge and influences public opinion. Yeah. Because pretty much every family in America now that has school age kids themselves Pretty much everybody knows a homeschool family. Yeah. And and the reason it's growing is I call it the great kid average parent syndrome. That They look at the kids and say, hey, those kids are really pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> I like those kids. I'd like my kids to look like that. And then they look at the parents and they say, hey, they're just average parents. If they can be successful, so can I. That's fantastic. And, and so, uh, you know, I'm a fan of Christian schools as well. And I, I um, but, but I, uh, you know, I'm with the homeschooling and I, I, that's what I've chosen for my family. I think it's the best, but I, I don't want to say that private school is not great as well. Yeah, absolutely. My guest today is Michael, Michael Ferris, and he is an expert on homeschooling. He's a constitutional attorney, uh, all kinds of credentials. We're going to be right back. And we're going to continue this discussion. What is the future of education in America? What's happening? Is homeschooling going to continue to grow? What's going to happen? Stay with us. We'll answer some of these questions. When you need tires or service, count on Conover Tires, Wheels, and Service in Oceanside for a full range of affordable options in all the brands you trust. See their great customer reviews and special offers online. Hours Tuesday through Friday, 730 to 530, and Saturdays, 730 to 5. Call Dan and his team at 760-439-1631. Conover Tires, Wheels, and Service, 2405 Oceanside Boulevard in Oceanside, 760-439-1631. Do you have one-button espresso machines in your home or business? They make delicious coffee drinks, but they're not maintenance-free. Express Fix Coffee is San Diego's source for coffee and espresso machine repair, sales, and service. Call Dave Martin at Express Fix Coffee for new and used espresso machines, repairs, parts, and accessories. They'll save you time and money. Call Express Fix Coffee at 619-867-3853. Learn more at ExpressFixCoffee.com. There's got to be more than going back and forth from doing right to doing wrong. Cause we were taught that's who we are. I really appreciate you listening today. This is Kevin Conover. You're on Educate for Life. We're on K Praise 1210 AM here in San Diego. My website's educateforlife.org. I am developing a curriculum uh, along in um, relationship with Creation Today. Uh, we are developing a comprehensive apologetics curriculum. My website, you can check out some of our classes. We talk about all kinds of things, Bible, myth, or fact. We talk about creation and evolution. We talk about cultural issues. And what we're do- doing is developing a comprehensive ninth through 12th grade curriculum that will equip your uh, young daughter or son to be able to be prepared 
to make the case for the truth of the Bible and the truth of Christianity. I hope you'll check out my website. That's educateforlife.org. My guest today is Michael Ferris, and he is the president of Patrick Henry College, the, the chancellor. He's also the chairman of the Homeschool Legal Defense Association. Very, very experienced uh, in all issues pertaining to parental rights and uh, homeschooling and uh, a Bible-believing uh, Christian, uh, Jesus lover. And, uh, Mike, I wanted to step into here. We're, we're almost out of time on the show. I wanted to talk about what you're uh, working on, which is a parental rights amendment to the Constitution. Can you tell us, our listeners about this? Sure. Um, we have a Second Amendment that um, protects the right to people to keep and bear arms. And I'm really glad that that's in the Constitution. Yeah. We Amen. don't have a parents' rights amendment. The, the right of parents to direct the upbringing and education of their children is a implied, an implied right. And the Supreme Court, of, up until 2000, recognized it as a high-level right, a fundamental right, which is the same level as freedom of speech, freedom of the press, and so on, a very, the highest level of constitutional right. So it's interesting that it's not in the Constitution, but it's an implied right. How does that work? Well, the uh, Ninth Amendment says just because we wrote down all the rights doesn't mean that there aren't other rights that we don't have. And so what, the correct way to understand what rights we do have that are implied, you look at history. And you say, at the time they adopted the Bill of Rights and at the time they adopted the 14th Amendment, what rights were so well established in our laws and traditions that they're unassailable? And about the only thing that passes that test as an unenumerated right is the right of parents to direct the upbringing of their children. Oh, interesting. And so, but our, in, in 2000, the Supreme Court in a case ta- called Troxel versus Granville split six ways. And only one justice, Clarence Thomas, ruled that parental rights were a fundamental right and used the fundamental rights high-level protection to apply to the test. Other judges said a whole bunch of different things, but only one judge got it completely right. Wow. And uh, as My res- respect for Clarence has gone up. More. Yeah. yeah he, <laughs> he, he's clearly the, the best on the court. Okay. And even before Justice Scalia passed on, he was – Justice Scalia would have ranked number two. Yeah. But, but Justice Thomas is number one. Wow. And, and so the um, – um, any, any event, uh, we think that it's time to take it out of the – unenumerated rights category and put it into the text of the Constitution. Just think of what our gun rights would be today if we were depending on an unenumerated right. Oh, yeah, they'd be gone. They'd be gone. Yeah. And the same thing's going to happen with parental rights. And so uh, the the central provision of the uh, amendment says the liberty of parents to direct the upbringing, education, and care of their child is a fundamental right. Now, there's some other sections, uh, like a section that says international law can't overrule this. Mm. Uh, other enforcement Yeah, because provisions. they're bringing international law mm. in all the time now. That's right. And so the uh, um, I was in the U.S. Senate on Monday of this week um, talking to Senator McCain, who's going to be a, a co-sponsor of this. That's fantastic. Um, and... Uh, and so, we're, so you have bipartisan. I mean, he's not. It's, that's well, not he's, but, he, he's almost bipartisan yeah, he's almost. <laughs> by himself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But but uh, we are working very strongly, especially in the House, to make this a bipartisan effort, because at the grassroots level, it is already bipartisan because there are four groups of parents that are coming. Together. I mean, what what parent is going to be like, no, the state yeah. can control my kid. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's right. But but there are certain groups that really get it because they experience problems on a regular basis. And so homeschoolers are one of the groups. Mm. 
the African-American community, particularly in the Detroit area, are coming together and they're strongly supporting. Wow, that's effort. very interesting. And the, why, why is that? Well, they've experienced some very specific problems there. And they had a, uh, an important case that took place in Detroit. Focus a lot of African-American pastors' attention on it. So we, we've got very strong support from the African-American pastor community that's in the Detroit great. area. Uh, including most of them are normally Democrats, and so yeah. it's 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 a great. Then we've we've gotten great uh, and encouraging Hispanic support. Uh, even some of the, the more liberal Hispanic groups are supporting us. And then finally, the disability community is starting to support us. National Federation for the Blind in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's a bad Supreme Court case about the right of disabled parents called Buck versus Bell. And so which the, that community understands is a problem uh, that they should have the same parental rights as anybody else. Absolutely, yeah. And so those uh, constituencies are coming together, and we believe that we have a really good shot at a bipartisan filing in the next few weeks. And if that happens, it's going to pass Congress this year. Oh, my goodness. Uh, and wow, so, that's way more uh, – That's. <laughs> uh, I was thinking, hey, maybe in a few years or something, yeah. but no, you're talking the next few weeks. Yeah, it, it's very possible. I mean, we, we're talking to some of the top Democrats in Congress. we got strong Republican support. That's not a problem. Yeah. But, but get it, we, to get to 290 in the House – and 67 in the Senate. You've got to have Democrats on board. And yeah. the Hispanic and disability and African-American communities coming behind us, coming behind this effort as parents. At the so graphic, are, they, are they calling their legislators? They are. That's what's they, happening. And they're okay. meeting with them. Okay. And so we've got a really good shot at top um, Democrats, particularly from the African-American community, uh, getting that, uh, on Yeah, board. that makes a big difference yeah. because you're not politically correct if you don't get behind what's happening there, right? That's right. So – so just for our listeners, if you don't know how you pass an amendment to the Constitution, both houses of Congress have to propose the amendment with a two-thirds vote. So in the Senate, there's 100 senators. You've got to have 67 of them on board. In the House of Representatives, was it 435? 435 yep. and it's 290. Yep, and, it's, and you've got to have 290. So you think in the next few weeks that's a real possibility? Yes. Uh, now to get a filing get going, and before – you know, before they they uh, adjourn for the fall, yes, I, I think there's a, it's a real possibility. Is it guaranteed? No, it's not guaranteed, but it's a very realistic possibility. I mean, the Congress people can't stand Congress; they think they do nothing and they mm-hmm. think they fight all the time. Mm-hmm. What a great way to do at least one really important thing, and then of course three fourths of the states will have to ratify it. Yeah. And, and so, you think that's a, that's a, a real possibility very realistic too. possibility as well. Oh, that's so exciting! So uh, we'll pray hard for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So if you want to get involved, uh, we have a website, parentalrights.org. Okay. So just people need to go there and uh, sign up to get email alerts. You have a petition on there too. We do. Yeah. Okay. And so if they sign the petition, the, the point of the petition mainly is this: is to get people to give us their email addresses so that when when we need you to call your congressman. We've got your email just so we can send you an email and say, hey, it's time to call. Absolutely. That's fantastic. Okay, well, I think there's going to be a lot of people that will get involved with that, and uh, I've, I'm, I myself am completely on board with that. That's very exciting. I have three little kids, so I don't want the state telling me how to raise them. Um, <clears throat> so I want to talk to you about one more issue, too, in, in regards to this that I think is significant and interesting, and that is, um, you know, you named your college um, after Patrick Henry, and uh, he's an awesome guy. Uh, give me liberty or give me death. Uh, he was is certainly passionate about liberty, uh, American uh, revolutionary hero. Um, and my question is really a biblical question or a, almost a theological question, which is, uh, is liberty a biblical and moral mandate? I've heard, you know, the argument goes, look, um, we have to sacrifice some freedom in order 
to ensure a healthier and better society. So sometimes you have to give up some of our rights in order to make sure that, for example, kids don't get sick who aren't parented well. Uh, and some people might say, uh, you, you know, there's all kinds of arguments for that kind of a thing uh, as far as the government being able to uh, know everybody who has a gun because we're going to make you safer for this. You sacrifice some of your freedom and we give you a better and safer community. Um, how would you respond to that both on a practical basis and also from a uh, theological basis, biblical basis? When we get back, my guest is Michael Ferris. Uh, I'm going to give him uh, the opportunity to answer that question. So stay with us. We're going to be right back. Hi, this is Jason Hall, president of Team Home Loans, a branch of Synergy One Lending. I just want to take this opportunity to thank Kevin Conover for the profound impact he's had on mine and my wife's spiritual life, as well as being an incredible teacher while our kids were his students. His knowledge and passion have taught us all how important it is to be defenders of our faith. It's our honor and privilege to support Kevin and his show. It is our sincere hope and prayer that you will continue to learn to be defenders of your faith through Kevin's radio show and through his Educate for Life teaching. Thank you, Kevin, from the Hall family and Team Home Loans. In 1947, Gordon Tucker began serving San Diego County families. Today, the family tradition continues with two stores, Tucker's Valley Furniture and Cash and Carry, both right across the street in El Cajon at Main and Mollison. Whether you want today's modern, eco-friendly furniture or authentic Amish furniture from solid cherry wood built in America, let the Tucker family serve your family. Learn more at tuckersvalleyfurniture.com. A proud sponsor of Educate for Life with Kevin Conover. I will cast Welcome to Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. We're on KPRZ.com all over the world. You can stream us all over the world. If you like this show, uh, check out my YouTube channel. Uh, educateforlife.org is my website, like I said. And my guest today is Michael Ferris. Uh, please visit parentalrights.org. Sign the petition. Uh, he's talking about having an amendment passed here to the Constitution, um, which would guarantee that parents are the premier authority in parenting their children. That's something we need. Um, and I asked him a question before the break, which was, is liberty a biblical, a theological mandate? Um, the, the Bible tells us that we, when we come to Christ, we're no longer slaves to sin, but we are slaves to righteousness and to Christ. We are not our own. We are bought at a price. And so I'm just curious about this concept of liberty, the founding father's view of liberty and, and, and so forth. Well, let's start with defining our terms. Okay. Uh, liberty is not anarchy. Uh, the, the idea that every man can do what's right in his own eyes, that's our anarchy. Mm -hmm. And the, the boundary of liberty, the principal boundary of liberty that the founders believed in was the moral law of God. You don't have the liberty to murder. You don't have the liberty to steal. You don't have the liberty to do— Or engage in prostitution. Or engage in prostitution. And I, hear, I run into this all yeah. the time when I'm talking. Yeah. They're like, hey, liberty, liberty. Yeah. We get to do whatever we want. Yeah. Don't boss me around, right? So it, uh, liberty is not anarchy. But you know the the, uh, the tone of the answer comes from the, the, the scripture that says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Mm. Uh, and so—but um, properly understood— uh, Liberty is really about jurisdiction, and it's who has the authority to make a decision. 
If you have the authority to make a decision about what car you buy, you have liberty. If you have the authority to make decision-making about where your child goes to school, you have liberty. If you have this, the authority to make the decision about whether your child's vaccinated or not, you have liberty. So the more you have jurisdictional authority to make decisions for yourself, the more liberty you have. Do you decide whether you have a gun or does the government decide whether you have a gun? You have liberty. And so the Bible teaches very clearly spheres of authority. Hmm. And the, the church has authority over certain issues. The government should not come in and tell the church what its doctrine is. Hmm. The government should not come in and tell the church who they can perform weddings for. The government should not tell the church who their pastor should be. And so the, the church has jurisdictional authority over a broad range of issues, including disciplining its own members. Uh, the family has a broad range of jurisdiction, and the individual, between the individual and God, has a certain level of authority that no, none of those other spheres, including the government sphere, and the, the government has a sphere of authority. And the sphere of authority of the government is you can't kill, you can't, you can't rob, you can't rape, and so on. Mm-hmm. That's the government's sphere of authority. Uh, the founders said that the sphere of authority for the government in the Declaration of Independence is um, because God has created with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The next sentence, for these reasons, governments are instituted among men. The, per- the central purpose of government is to protect life, liberty, and property. If you believe that basic theory of government, then you believe in freedom. If you believe the purpose of government is to provide for our needs— then you believe in socialism. Mm. And those two theories do not coexist over time. You're either going to have a free country or you're going to have a socialist country. You can't have it both ways. And and, you, and the biblical mandate is... is, is, to re, is to respect the spheres of authority. You let the family decide the issues relative to their children. You let the church decide the real issues relative to the church. You let the individual before God decide the issues that God assigns to the individual. And you let the government decide the issues that it assigns, which are basically life, liberty, and the, the mm-hmm. protecting life, protecting liberty, and protecting our, our basic rights, protecting property. Mm-hmm. Those are the authority of government. Not And so liberty is leaving the spheres of authority in their proper places and letting people decide their own decisions in that wide swath of decision-making where God and our founders gave us the ability to make our own decisions. And you keep the government out of decisions, not biblically or constitutionally authorized to the government. That makes a lot of sense. And really, you can't have our country can't survive as the founding fathers intended it to without an understanding of what it means to have liberty biblically. You can't have a freedom loving country without freedom understanding people. Mm -hmm. And so people need to understand the Constitution. They need to understand the principles of liberty and they need to understand the word of God because those things are consonant with each other. Yeah. Now, would you say that uh, liberty is a... um a moral virtue in the same sense or a moral characteristic of God in the same sense that truth is a emanates from his being, uh, that the, the concept of liberty emanates from. His yes, being. it is an attribute of God. I, yeah. mean, I mean, the verse I quoted where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. That tells us it is an attribute of God. People yearn for liberty because they yearn for the character of God. Mm. They, they, they yearn for God. There's a God-sized vacuum, but there's a specific vacuum for the attributes of God. Uh-huh. People want justice. People they want, want truth. liberty. Yeah. They want, yeah, that's exactly They right. want love. They want love. That's they incredible. Want, they want the attributes of God, and liberty is one of the attributes of God. Wow, that makes me so happy. I feel like really happy right now. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I, I, I'm getting a good education here, Mike. Um, I wanted to ask you also, this is kind of a little, a, a little bit of a side route. Did you have something else you wanted to no, say on that? No, I'm issue? good. So- 
I have another uh, question for you, and that is, um, what's your opinion on the school voucher school choice movement and its relationship, say, to education and homeschooling and so forth? Uh, I won a case in the Supreme Court on this topic, uh, nine to zero, and uh, wow. the, the, the Supreme Court ruled that it is constitutional to include religious education in broad programs of, of funding. In the case I was in, it was vocational funding for blind people. And a guy wanted to go to Bible school with his vocational vocational funding. And so, so it is constitutional to do this. The way I prefer to see it done mm-hmm. is through something like tax credits rather than a direct voucher. Where the government sends you its money, it thinks that it gets to control it. Mm-hmm. But if we just simply get it deducted on our taxes, it's like giving to our church. Yeah, it, it, The government doesn't get jurisdiction over our church because we make a deduction on our taxes for giving to the church. And it wouldn't get jurisdiction at least under current law, and mm-hmm. we, I think we could protect it there yeah. uh, if we were able to take deductions. So I'm for the concept in general, but I think that I want a freedom-based way of doing it that protects the liberty of those churches and homeschoolers. And if, if the day comes where they grant uh, direct vouchers, you know, I'm glad for breaking the monopoly, but I'm not going to participate. I'm not going to take the government voucher. Uh, Patrick Henry College... We take zero government dollars. Liberty University takes millions and millions of government yeah. dollars. Yeah. We don't take any at all, not a penny. So they can never drag you into that, they, that argument. That's right. We, yeah. We're going to teach Christ regardless of the money. We don't have to. Okay. That's, that's great. Now, do you see, do you feel personally, and we're almost out of time here, but I just want to squeeze one last question in here. What's your view? Do you feel positive about the direction of education? Do you feel like there's a movement that's happening that's going in a good direction? Uh, do you feel like Christians are waking up to the to these issues that you're dealing with? Uh, Some Christians are. Um, the, the middle is getting emptied out. The good is getting brighter. The bad is getting darker. Mm. And um, uh, we're, we're, we're moving in very dangerous times in very dangerous directions. If, if I could just convince all Christians to do one thing— Go look at the Bible and see what it says about educating your kids and do what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. And not, don't take some generalized verse. See what it says specifically about training children. And if you make your decision based on specific Bible verses on this, I'm happy as a clam. But if you go off on some half-baked theory you've never thought about it through biblically, mm. then I don't, I don't really like your chances of getting where God wants you to be. Okay. You recommend any resources for that? Uh, any, any books or anything that— uh Oh, there's so many, but I just say, just go read the Word of God. Okay. He's got plenty right Amen. there. There you go. Amen. Okay, well, my guest today was Michael Harris. Uh, Michael Ferris, I apologize. Thank you for being on the show today, Michael. It's my pleasure. And uh, his website, parentalrights.org. Please sign the petition there. Fantastic. My website is educateforlife.org. My name is Kevin Conover. You're on kprz.com. That's kpraise, 1210 a.m. here in San Diego. And uh, we're on every Saturday from 2 to 3 p.m. I hope you'll join us next week. We'll have another excellent show. God bless you. Have a fantastic day. Educate for Life with Kevin Conover. Learn more about Kevin and his work online at his website, educateforlife.com. That's educateforlife.com. You'll find great resources, ideas, and even video classes there to help you grow and understand what in the world is happening. Encourage your friends to listen for great guests and intelligent analysis of the stories that shape our lives. Educate for Life with Kevin Conover. Tired and bring your shame, bring your guilt and bring your pain. Don't you know that's not your name? You will always be much more to me.
It's all. 